Reading Room, a literary podcast devoted to the works of Appendix A. Here we open the library doors of the Sanctum Socorro to you. to the Sanctum Secorum Reading Room. Whether you are new to the literary world of Appendix N, you're a diehard fan of the genre, or even just tuning in to see how certain titles might tie into a particular set of role-playing games, we invite you to join us as we dive into the history and influence of Appendix N. We'd like to open our library to you and inspire readers to explore these new worlds. Allow me to introduce our Keepers of Mysteries for this evening. Uh, you have myself, Keeper Jed, and with me as always is the, oh, we can't say illustrious, we used verbose last night, um, the ever so awesome Keeper Bob. Good evening, everyone. Uh, as a quick reminder to those of you with us here on the Twitch channel tonight, we do have those channel points, which you can redeem for weird trivia or, um, I don't know, Bob could break into a song for you. I, I, I oh. don't know. Like, there's, I'm there's, pretty sure there's FCC regulations about that. Okay. Well, yeah, there's that. Um, Plus, we do have a couple of giveaways coming up later in the hour, and you might have your chance to use channel points to weigh your votes on what we end up reading next month. But tonight, we are going to dive into the final published Conan story from author Robert E. Howard. This is, of course, Red Nails, which was serialized from June to October 36. 1936, that is, in Weird Tales magazine. Take it away, Bob. Well, Weird Tales described the story as one of the strangest stories ever written. The tale of a barbarian adventurer, a woman pirate, and a weird roofed city inhabited by the most peculiar race of men ever spawned. Robert E. Howard described it as a Conan yarn and the grimmest, bloodiest, and most merciless story of the series so far. Too much raw meat, maybe, but I merely portrayed what I honestly believe would be the reactions of certain types of people and the situations on which the plot of the story hung. Red Nails begins in the jungles, far to the south of any known civilized or barbarian kingdoms. Valeria of the Red Brotherhood is fleeing persecution and is followed into the wilderness by Conan, a fellow adventurer who wishes for an alliance, alliance with <laughs> Valeria. The pair journey towards a mysterious walled city which appears deserted. The city, which is known as Zucatl, is a massive structure completely enclosed and roofed off by an emerald dome. A single great hallway runs across the entire city. However, no streets or open courtyards are present. The two separate and search the city's empty corridors. Valeria encounters a man named Decottle, 
who she joins in his feud between two factions which dwell in the once populous city. Soon, Dakotl invites Conan and Valeria into the stronghold of his tribe, the Tekahutli? I'm going to go with Tekahutli. Eventually, the couple are welcomed by the rulers of Zupatol, Olmec, and Tuskela. After a ritual, Olmec reveals the history of his civilization and its ancient war with the other inhabitants and the meanings of the red nails driven into a pillar within the Olmec stronghold. Okay, I did like the explanation of the title. That that was pretty cool. Um, it's not at all what I was expecting. And yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, oh. um, Zuchotl? Zuchotl? Oh, well, you, you look at the, the spellings of the names, the entire <laughs> the entire story has kind of this Mesoamerican feel to it. Almost definitely, yeah. Um, it, it certainly doesn't carry in like, carry through to the original illustrations from Weird Tales um, by Harold Daly, I think it was. Or uh, Delay. Delay, Harold Delay. Um, but but certainly you, you get that feel with all of these names. I mean, they're... They're, they're straight they're straight out of Mexico and South America and Central America. It's, it's just wonderful. Uh, well, and it's funny, you used a quote in there from Howard himself about too much raw meat, maybe. Um, this is part of correspondence written to Clark Ashton Smith uh, right after he sold Red Nails to Weird... Uh, yeah, Weird Tales. And it ends with, you know, it, it may sound fantastic to link the term realism with Conan, but as a matter of fact, his supernatural adventures aside, he is the most realistic character I ever evolved. And I gotta say, having just read Tower of the Elephant, what, last month uh, for a different, <clears throat> different show, <laughs> heavy air quotes, I think there is definitely an evolution in Conan. There's actually some respect that he's he's showing to Valeria and it's not the it's not the Conan that we've all come to know and love or a grab woman by hair taking No, see that's that's the thing. That 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 Conan that you that you cite as we all know and love is is not Conan. Right, that is that is a, an image people have, have gathered over the years, especially from the uh, from the exactly. films. But that's that's not Conan. It, it it's much like you know people think that that uh, Tarzan by Burroughs only grunted, and yeah, he was, exactly. was very well spoken. Yes, I'm using the stereotype, Bob. Right, but but uh, you know that is that is not the creation of Mr. Robert Irvin Howard. Irvin. Okay. Irvin, Robert Irvin Howard, born January 22nd, 1906, uh, passed away June 11th, 1936. And for, for those who are unfamiliar, he is the person for whom the term sword and sorcery was coined, specifically the Conan stories. Uh, they are the origin of the term sword and sorcery. Uh, coined by a liber, if I recall? Coined by Liber at while answering a question from Michael Moorcock. <laughs> so yes, uh, it is. Right? Michael Moorcock was was trying to figure out the the best way to refer to the the Conan stories, and there were various ideas bandied back and forth, and, and Liber coined sword and sorcery. Now, 
the uh, the first publication being in 1936 it was nearly 70 years after that that the uh, the conquering sword of conan was published which is the version that i had the luxury of reading uh illustrated by gregory manchets if any of you are familiar it it's very evocative even if it's in black and white uh this particular volume includes notes on things like the original typescripts for which, uh, by the way, Red Nails was found double-spaced, <laughs> cleanly typed, double-spaced, just a couple of notes. Uh, there's a full draft chronology for anyone who's interested in this geeky stuff, notations on every change that was made from the original text to this version, including commas, inserting hyphens at the line breaks. I'm I, I'm geeking out too much about this, but I know that we have also discussed Howard in previous uh, reading room shows. So we've gone over a lot of aspects of his his life, and I thought that maybe I would pull out a couple of cool finds, like again, more correspondence. Uh, between he and other authors and I just I was really loving the opportunity to dig into this side of the history about him well and the and the edition that the edition that you read is part of a series that collects all of Howard there's one dedicated to the Solomon Kane stories there's another one or two that cover I think there's another one for Conan there's one for the Cull stories one for the horror stories this is the third of the Conan collection okay so um, but there's also go ahead but it, it is an absolutely great collection one very interesting fact is that there's no evidence that howard wrote about conan after this story even in unpublished works uh, and it's speculated that this may be in part due to the fact that weird tales was unable to continue paying him regularly well, that and I mean, he did his stories didn't have a long lead time between purchase and publication either, you know. So, just just based on the timing, I mean, this was published posthumously. There, there wasn't likely a whole lot of time. Um, oh, interesting. How come uh, we have a question in our Twitch chat? How come Tarzan isn't really considered Appendix N? Well, I think, and you'll far be it for me to, to speak for Gary Gygax, right? <laughs> I mean, we'll put, we'll put together the list. But he focused more on the sword and planet materials, and I think that's more of what he was reading as opposed to Tarzan. Um, although oh, I John believe Hendrickson also mentions the Pellucidar, the, the center of the Earth stories. Uh, oh, uh, at Earth's core and, and all of those, yeah. Right, which... which originated in one of the Tarzan novels. So there's a roundabout connection, <laughs> but it's not really the sort of thing that was inspiring, I think, to to D&D because you know, one one person in a jungle wasn't wasn't quite the same as as facing off with with swords or lasers against Martian hordes. I was going to say then one person walking through a jungle with a sword right <laughs> the sword kind of makes it yeah um i mean and this but but as stories go this particular story is is 
dark. It is it is very dark. There's actually a great essay on the Goodman Games website by Jason Ray Carney that focuses on themes of dehumanizing violence and compassion in Red Nails and, and how those themes are approached in the text. Let me see here. I can drop um, that. Well, that's true. The last stories that he wrote about Conan are definitely more realistic than fantastic. Ah, there's so, a dragon in this story. <laughs> there's a dragon well, in this story. Let's. But no. it, as far as the humans go, right? They, they're they're more seasoned. They're they're almost like a raw uh, example of humanity. Um, but this was also written at a time when his mother's health was declining at an alarming rate. So possibly oh, yes. these horrific events that he's writing about are in resonance with this in real life. I mean, yeah, Howard was definitely, definitely in a dark place when he wrote this. There, there is, there's a lot of really heavy concepts at play. He wasn't kidding when he, he said this was his most merciless story. Uh, I, between between just you know, all, a virtual sacrifice, right? I mean, the, the 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 brutal slitting of throats, not by not by Conan, but just seeing people as this has happened. These 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 almost sacrificial moments. The topic of of rape comes up several times as well. Uh, it, it, this is a this is a dark dark Conan story. Uh, well, and, and honestly, I was told that this was his. Well, I read, I should say, that this was his uh, foray into touching on to topics like well, lesbianism or, you know, not following the straight path, if you will. And while there's there's a tone there, I, I walked away going, that was nothing like what I expected, but it was good. It, I enjoyed it more than most Conan stories, and I think because there was a a heroine at at the top of it, we open on Valeria, right? We open with this woman who has stood at the head of crews of ships, of of armies, of men, and flat out will not take any of their crap and is only powerless if they have numbers. And I, I I think every woman would feel that sort of identification. I, I could see uh, see that bit of identification as well as her exasperation of, you know, why won't men just let me live a man's life? Which is one of Valeria's quotes from the story. <laughs> right. Um, but, but yeah, alongside of Tower of the Elephant, this is considered to be one of Robert e. Howard's best stories not best conan stories these two are considered some of his best stories period and i mean they, they were yes. massively influential across all all numbers of fields i mean it was the inspiration for the DD adventure dark tower by janelle turquoise and, uh, and she has made no secret about being inspired by by red nails oh john david speaks says you guys are the best couple in the ttrpg I don't know if I believe that, but I'll I'll say awe and thanks. 
<laughs> well, and I see, you know, was Conan more successful for Howard or Tarzan? Well, yes. I mean, oh. they so so written by different authors, right? Tar, Tarzan was Burroughs, Conan was Howard. Um, however, uh, of the two, if you want to if you want to look at which characters were more successful at the time for each author, I would dare say that Tarzan was more successful. Uh, certainly, uh, a lot more a lot more written. Oh, Burroughs yes. had a had a much longer career. Tarzana, California, is named for Tarzan. <laughs> right? I mean, um, far more films. Both have been very lucrative in in the long run to uh, to the estates of. But uh, but I think Tarzan was more financially lucrative at the time. But uh, then again, Robert E. Howard is is one of the uh, the big three of Weird Tales, right? Robert E. Howard, Lovecraft, and Clark Ashton Smith. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I don't have the numbers um, in front of me. The quote that I absolutely love uh, from Lovecraft himself, for stark living fear, what other writer is even in the running with Robert E. Howard? Oh, yeah. Oh. That's high praise indeed, right? Well, I mean, Robert e., Robert e. Howard could write horror and he could write horror materials. I mean, he, his story, Pigeons from Hell, uh, Stephen King stated that it was one of the finest horror, horror novels or horror stories written in that century, which was you know, the, the, the 20th century. So when Howard wanted to bring horror and darkness to a story, he certainly could. And I mean, he was he was. A, it worked in this story, even. Yeah, he was a pen pal with Lovecraft, and he wrote mm-hmm. tales that tied into the mythos and vice versa. So he was he was very well rounded. He he could write boxing stories, western stories, tales of adventure, tales of horror, and in this one, he combines a few of those fields. And so even Paul Anderson was influenced by the furious galloping narrative pace that Howard tends to have in his stories. Although part of me wonders if that's mostly due to the serialized nature of his writings, right? If you're publishing your work in all of these pulps, they kind of have to be quick and and self-contained chapters. Well, to to a point, right? I mean, yeah, that's, you know, certainly writing for the pulps, gave you an opportunity and a, and a reason to kind of be, be floored or expound because you're being paid by the word, but you couldn't, you couldn't go overly. So, or, or things would get rejected, but let's, let's talk a little bit. You know, since we, we've talked about Howard a bit, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the book, right. About this, about the story itself. Cause this is Honestly, such a different tale than Tower of the Elephant, which we just read last month. It really did feel like it started in a similar fashion, uh, complete with like the the gem crusted tower that you see Valeria at the top of that we open on this scene. And I really thought we were like midway into Tower of the Elephant, <laughs> just with a different female lead. Uh, I'm glad that it took a change. Well, yeah, I mean it's it, it it's it's a very different tale in my opinion than than Tower of the Elf, and I don't okay. I don't see the similarities at all. I mean, we uh, and I'm kind of curious about the we don't start with the gem across the tower. We start with her in the mountains, right? Because they're going through the forest and up into the rocks. 
Right. That it just that was the imagery that I had uh, from one of the uh, recollections of hers at the beginning. Yeah, because yeah, because this this story starts you know in in mm -hmm. situ, right? I mean, we are we are already going. She's you know Valeria is is on the run. And and Conan and Conan is is following her, almost almost like uh, was it Sir Roland to the Dark Tower went and the Man in Black yeah. followed behind, uh, you know Valeria to to the to the Dome City went and Conan followed behind, um, and it's a great um, introduction of of a character that while she only appears in in literature right Valeria only appears here more people are going to know Valeria from her appearances in Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer. She is, she is shown there as, as an equal and partner to Conan. And in this story, while she is definitely, we will say a romantic interest of, of Conan's, but he also knows that you know, when, when he, when he scoffs is like, Oh, I'll take that sword away from you. She's like, no, you won't. And Conan knows he can't. So right. she is, she is even there shown to be very, very competent and equal. And it is definitely kind of a change from a lot of, a lot of fiction at the time. Right. And, and he says, well, good thing I was following you because I killed the other guy that had been following you. And she's just giving him a lot of side eyes, <laughs> my impression there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Because I couldn't handle him myself okay and then they get into a situation with the, the we'll call it a dragon they, they do they eventually call it a dragon and that yeah that, i mean i i read the description I, and i because the description you know the head bigger than that of a crocodile was further extended on a long scaled neck on which stood up rows of serrated spikes and after it crushing down the briars and saplings, waddled the body of a titan, a gigantic barrel-bellied torso on absurdly short legs. And <laughs> I was like, giggle. <laughs> and, and you know, it talks about the spiked, long spiked tail. I was like, well, th that's a dinosaur. That's <laughs> that, that, that. That's like a maybe a maybe a. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that's that that maybe a stegosaurus or that's that's a dinosaur, and then in the story they're like that's a dragon. I was like, but but that's a dinosaur. And then I looked at the original illustration, and the original illustration, I was like, oh, that's a dragon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that's when uh, Conan starts to see her as more of an equal. He he still feels protective of her, but he knows. I think he oh, sees her no. as an equal from the get-go, but he's but still he's the... still very covet. I would say he is covetous of her. I would I would say protective. The way that he watches over while she sleeps, and and he doesn't sleep much at all, and and he never wakes her for her watch like he's supposed to, and she feels kind of coddled and bristles at this, and. Then they make it into the underground city and they start, uh, he comes, unfortunately, to her rescue, but sees that she has laid out plenty before he even got there. But, but you know, before we, before we even get into the city, let's, let's go back to this dragon for a minute, because 
because de- dealing true. with this thing there's is, a part is, that you really love here <laughs> well i mean just just the way he deals with it, he's like okay well we'll make spears he's like well the sticks are too thin the vines are too flimsy so he he makes this giant bundle of of sticks and vines and like braiding it together a spear but he knows the spear is not enough and this kind of goes back to to Conan's barbarian roots, right? Barbarian in the in the truest sense of someone who is was lived on the land. He's not he is not, you know, necessarily vulgar or or base, but he is he is more of the land. He is less quote unquote civilized, and so he's like, oh well, poisonous apples of uh, Durketta. Well, that'll do it. And he dips you know he dips the blade in and he poisons the thing by stabbing. I think he stabs it in the eye, which is just. Awful enough it is. It was in the mouth because it finally was able to. Oh, that's right. But but then as it's staggering away, poisoned, it's thirsty and it's going blind from the poison. So like, but but it is that is that connection, right? He is he is not a man of genteel society, and it really to me that really struck home. He is a man of the land of the wilderness, and his knowledge of that was the first time that Valeria went. Huh, with <laughs> a little eyebrow. Oh, okay. Because she was saying, hey, well, at least there's fruit here. We needn't starve. Uh, well, uh, you're more than welcome, but <laughs> uh, one drop will kill you. Wait, what? <laughs> so I I guess I'm, I'm starting to bristle at all of the save the damsel in distress moments, but it proved him useful to Valeria at that moment. Well, and at the end of the day, it is a Conan story, not a Valeria story. And so, yeah, so yeah. is that, right? <laughs> um, Although but, Valeria gets a lot more screen time than Conan does in this, or at least it seems that way. I think it, I think it seems that way. I think, I think overall it's fairly, it's fairly well rounded and divided. And I think that the inclusion of Valeria is also a very important storytelling device because then you can see what's going on in both camps within the city essentially at the same time. You can you can start getting a feel for things. And oh my god, the the abandoned city, which is certainly not abandoned, but the the atmosphere, the way the way it is described, you could almost hear the the hollow echo of footfalls through the stone. It was just, yes. it, it was just so, so real. It was so present. Oh yeah. You can almost feel it around you as you're reading. And yet it, it makes for a, oof, an uncomfortable feeling as you're reading this. And then all of a sudden they come to this big brass door that, once it's closed, they're not worried. Nobody can breach it. Wait, what? <laughs> um, okay, that seems awfully lackadaisical of you. And yeah. as we find out later, um, well, they're, they kind of weren't wrong. But... Uh, but this is not the show in which we talk about things we'd like to stat up. Otherwise, I would totally no. Because there's pl- there was flute. yeah there there was plenty of stuff that that, <laughs> that would flute, be man. <laughs> I mean, just the the text itself is so is so descriptive. You know, oh, yeah. softly as phantoms they descended the stair and came to the mouth of a quarter black as night. I just I, I understand mm-hmm. it's it's 
it you know, fairly basic prose, but it just the way it scans is just so perfect. And I think this this really was this was Howard at the peak of his craft. And, and yeah. as he commented to uh, P. Shiler Miller, who I think was also acting as one of the editors for Weird Tales at the time, um, as for Conan's eventual fate, frankly, I can't predict it. In writing these yarns, which I love his use of, by the way, I've always felt less as creating them than as if I were simply chronicling his adventures as he told them to me. Yeah, which was kind of a was almost a, a common conceit yeah. at the time, right? Where authors would say, oh, well, this this is the story that was told to me. There, there's an entire series in, in Daw, the, the Dre Prescott stories by, uh, I think. As told to. By, by <laughs> Akers. And it's, yeah, and it's, you know, well, Dre Prescott told me these stories. And, and so, so, yeah. And when you're writing things on such, on such a quick turnaround, right? I mean, if you look at authors today, when they they can spend years working on a novel, it's still it's still kind of a voyage of discovery, even if they've outlined it, kind of have an idea where they want it to go. And Howard was just like, slap paper to the typewriter, let's go. And uh, <laughs> now you mentioned the Mesoamerican feel to things. Um, that certainly has to tie in not just with the names, but the fact that. Many of the residents of Hercotlan or Hercotl, Hercotl, yeah, that one, uh, when in distress, they would cry, in Set's name or in the name of Set. So do you think there's a, a strict correlation there? Well, so the, the Set of Conan is is not the, the Set of Egypt, although there are similarities, right? Just like the uh, the Mitra of of Howard's works is not the Mitra of of, yeah, of the real world, so. But I'm sensing some corollaries to other systems, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's just well, and of course, I I had to deep dive into all that when I was working on Dark Tower, um, but it's in. In in Conan, it's it's sort of a darker god, and certainly the people, the sort of people that call out to set, are maybe not always the kind of people you want to be hanging out with, right? Uh, they're 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 not the ones that are going to trust you. Hey, or, that that's actually a really great synopsis for what happens here. Uh, I I could not believe the deception given about the dragon. Well, they called them dragon gods. Um, trying to say that there were still many out there. Oh no! It turns out there was just that one left, and Conan well, killed it. And well, they weren't. Oh they weren't actually sure it. about that. They weren't actually sure about that because he was like, "Hey, so once we once we finish killing off your enemies, you're going to help us. We'll show you how to use the poison, and we'll take out the rest of them because there there's there's more of them out there." Um, and they talk about how that's that's how they ended up in this city, this city that was ancient when they came across it, and and that's the thing, right? This this whole this whole bizarre blood feud between these two groups, this never ending. One person. <laughs> well, and there's never any. It's been it's 
they've only been here for 50 years, right? I mean, they have completely descended into, into madness and chaos in 50 years. And but that was like three generations for them. Well, yeah. yeah they, no, that's, they were born there. They will die there. Well, and, and, and die there they would. I mean, that was the whole thing about the red nails, right? The the black column of ebony with all of the the red dots scarring the surface, and all of those were red nails representing lives taken. And oh. that's just wow. Oh, um, you you just reminded me of one that I found uh, it were, that was provided to me. Uh, a quote from Fritz Leiber about the Conan writings, especially uh, a mass of glimmering black for the menace, an ice blue cascade for the hero, between them a swath of crimson for battle, passion, and blood. Yes, you're right. Howard had a really great way with the delineation of colors, especially. Uh, so, Valeria of the Red Brotherhood tells us a lot yes yes it, it does but i mean so so what these, these people arrived here you know, they were pursued by enter pursuit by dragons as opposed to exit pursued by a bear i suppose and and they lived they lived in peace in this area for five years until someone decided to get married and two other people wanted to to get married to her as well and so then once one of those guys stole her away, very like Helen of Troy and and war broke out and everything just kind of. And you've got the like, Judas who pretends to help a friend, but then goes and marries the one that he wants or steals that girl. And later on in the story, we find out from from the friend to, to Chottle that. No, Tuskela, no, she's a witch who possesses the secret of perpetual youth. And it turns out the whole war was between tribe, you know, between the tribes was over her, but she looks like she can't be any older than mid-twenties, 30, maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, no older than Valeria herself. And it was never really trust a witch in a Conan story. You know, it, well, and she didn't even do the kidnapping of Valeria herself. She sent a servant to do it, who in turn, uh, Valeria took out pretty much every frustration she had by whipping this poor slave servant. Yeah. Um, and started to realize I'm I'm enjoying this too much. I need to stop. It was almost like she had that moment of, I'm being overly masochistic about this, and I'm not going to get any answers. Yeah. It was, it was a really bizarre, bizarrely tense scene. And given all of the preface of, oh, this is this is the story, and no, that didn't go at all like I expected either. <laughs> See now. In, fa in fairness, I, I, the the senior the senior talking about to me reads a little bit different, and and to me the scene reads a little bit I think more tawdry. It's like very like seventies exploitation film 
I mean, you were where she's threatening to, to strip the other one naked and spank her until she talks. Like, you know, whip, not well. Okay, that doesn't. No, she she better. actually she, <laughs> she uses she uses the term spank. Uh, it's just it's one of those things. Like you know, this is. Uh, it it was it is it is what it is, right? It was a foray. But, <laughs> it's foray, yes, to a different side of the usual. So, but, but yeah. so in that, in that for, for me, it had the, the scene in some ways it felt kind of out of place from the rest of the story because it didn't, it didn't seem serious enough for, for the character of, of Valeria. Right. I mean, Valeria is, she is no hero. She's a pirate. She's a reaver. Um, and, and so 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 that, that that just didn't really seem to to fit. I mean, I could certainly see her just beating the crap out of someone until they talked, but the way the way the scene was written, uh to me It felt was obviously like written by a man in the 30s. Yes, yes, okay. that, that is true. Um <laughs> we can agree on that part. Yeah, it but so so that felt that felt a little out of place even for the even for the character. But then it everything beyond that just slips back into into the thick darkness right i mean we've by this point yes. we've already encountered the crawler which we haven't seen so much as it has been present and struck at in the darkness by conan so there's all sorts of just dark eldritch weird going on behind the scenes and once once you kind of push these warring factions out of the way and and you've got this witch and everything else that is going on beneath there is there is something far more sinister than just a, a simple blood feud going on now they they are disrupted uh or valeria is disrupted as conan is awakened by the cries as that door that can't be breached is breached right you know because that's it, it it's chekhov's door when, once we have told you the door cannot be breached, you know in the third act the door will be breached. Exactly it. That's yes, uh, and the, you know the battle goes about as expected. But I don't remember. Did they end up bringing what was left of the crawler with them for that part? I don't no, think we saw the, the crawler again. We just we encounter we encounter the the crawler the second time. It is dead. And that is after this battle when they go across to make sure there's no survivors on the other side. Gotcha. That's and right. and, That's and the, right. the the crawler gape mouthed and milk eyed mm-hmm. this this giant snaggle toothed snake thing with those like saber fangs crossing. So Prince Olmec sends Conan and uh, two or three of the remaining dozen that live over to the other side to make sure none of the other side lives and 20 and why does he really do this why does he really do this because he learned nothing from the feud about about women being grabbed and wiped away (laughs) right and he also whispers to our liaison to kill him and of course that goes horribly horribly wrong but yeah, that, that goes not before he tells right. Conan that no, the the prince told me to kill you. Oh well, here let me let me make this easy on you. Then you're gonna die anyway. I'll just make it quicker. Uh, <laughs> in 
Now, would would that be true Conan fashion? A little bit of uh, compassion thrown in with with uh, just well, yeah, I mean, the evil. I, <laughs> Conan, I haven't read Conan enough Conan was, to know. Conan was not unnecessarily cruel. Right. I I mean, in this story, that's correct. Um, well, I pretty much all the stories. It's never unnecessarily cruel. Good to know, I suppose. And he he does get back in time to once again save the damsel because it's not a Valeria story; it's Conan story. Yes, yes. But he but he does more than <laughs> than save Valeria. He saves he saves the prince, right? Um, does he? Yes, he, he he cuts him loose, you know, because Olnak was had been had been captured. Conan frees him. Right, uh, but I didn't. Okay, think he doesn't save him for long because things don't end well for anybody other than Conan and Valeria in a Conan. Thank story. you, thank you. But, but but he does. He saves him, and that's then when we descend into the secrets beneath the city, and that's really where we get to the the the, the big finale of what's really been going on beneath this this feud. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, and at at that point, Conan continues to show Valeria respect, which is kind of intriguing. And I I suppose um, they they walk off happily ever after. I, is that, I mean, that, well, that's know, kind it, of my my ultimate takeaway. While <laughs> while live the another well, day, I would say while the the opening the opening of the story is very. Very Conan, you know, hey, you know. <laughs> uh, at the end, it's more, the end of it is almost more like a buddy cop film, right? They're, they're, yeah. they're like, well, you know, we guess we ended that feud. Ha, 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 nudge, nudge. Well, it's a long way back to the coast. I mean, yep. yes, they, they, have, they have their romantic moment there. They, they, they kiss. They're, you know, they're, there's no longer this, this struggle between them. And and now There's they're like, okay, a mutual we, respect. Yes, and uh, and now now we're going to go and show the world what plundering means, and that's and and that is that is where we end after we've had monsters and magic and witchcraft and blood feuds, and we shall make beautiful Sumerian Aquilonian babies. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. I, and, and ghostly squid is like, but that is another story. Yes, and unfortunately, that story will not be told. Uh, it's and it, it's kind of weird anyway because Howard didn't write the the Conan stories chronologically, so they they skip all over. Right. The so you know this this while the last Conan story written is not the last adventure of Conan chronologically that he wrote, but it's the only appearance of, of Valeria, who in some ways in in some ways. Uh, has has some similarities to uh, Red Sonia, the original, oh, yeah. not the comic book version, right? And and so yeah, it's 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 all it is to to uh, to use a Howard's term. It's a ripping yarn. It really is. It's a great <laughs> yarn. Um, it, it's a wonderful story. It's very dark. Uh, parts of it are very bleak, but it is so well written. It is so captivating. And it, it shows why Howard is still so highly regarded today. Now, less than a month before his death, I, again, at age 
30. Uh, he did write to H.P. Lovecraft, but he found it more and more difficult to write anything but Western yarns and said, I have always felt that if I ever accomplished anything worthwhile in the literary field, it would be with stories dealing of the central and western frontier. Now, while I would be very interested to see Conan in, shall we say, weird frontiers. Um, well, uh, Howard didn't write Conan in, in the <laughs> Wild West. He wrote, he wrote westerns. <laughs> yeah. He wrote westerns. He wrote boxing stories. And and while a lot a lot of his, his stories certainly uh, bear, bear the stigma of, of social opinions of the time, which we can just say are, are less than appropriate, they they bear they 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 reflect those, but without without malice, without without additional degradation, and in in some of the stories he runs counter to those opinions, which is which is really nice. Howard was was definitely a a forward thinking for his time in many ways. Not all of them, but in many ways. <laughs> but it is it, of his time. Yeah. Well, and it's it's very sad, unfortunately, that that after his mother passed, he spiraled into depression. And uh, <clears throat> and like I said, this this obviously was written in a very dark place. And and shortly yes. after he uh he and, ended things. And, and, and to do our due diligence, um, if you ever feel in a comparable state, you can call, text, or chat 988 and be connected to help. Uh, I will post that full message in our uh, Twitch chat. And... There's also the lifeline phone number of 1-800-273-TALK. And um, at, at the end of the day, when you look, yeah. it, you look, you look at an author who, who today we still, we still reread and admire. It, it anybody, and, can, anybody can be in the, in that. And he didn't think this was worthwhile. That is, that is what baffles me. Well, that's really the kind of the heartbreak of the whole thing is Howard right. is, is still so highly regarded. There is, of course, there's Robert E. Howard days. You know, there's, there's a festival celebrating him and his work annually. Yes. There are, there's, there's awards for scholarship in, in Robert E. Howard's studies. I mean. After a mere, what, 20 years of writing, if that not even right. I mean, he was yeah. He was thirty. That that's why I said if if that now less than twenty years of writing, you've accomplished that much of a name for yourself. But unfortunately, it wasn't realized right then at that moment. So that's why we bring things like this up. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I'd like to talk about an up and coming designer at this point hey let's let's talk about let's talk about something a little a little a little lighter a little happier a little lighter um as many of you know sanctum media is in partnership with ugandan game designer ashraf braden uh we've released our fourth fourth in the new line of dcc items this one is camila a sentient river tributary and the avenging elemental assassin of an ancient water god. 
Mila is a river that swallows entire villages in the night. And uh, River Elementals uh, is, is our new DCC collection for you, based on the Ugandan folklore. And the River Elementals are a lesser known type of water elemental bound to the material plane. And greatest among them is Camila an elder of their kind that is far more dangerous and powerful. Also included with this release are punctua uh, punctuation, I can't read tonight, sorry, pronunciation notes, woohoo, and audio clips provided by the author himself for those wanting to get the most out of those Ugandan creations. And the micro-release costs a mere one dollar. One, one monies. One monies. And this is Ashraf's fourth RPG release with us. Um, actually, fifth, if he had something in our Sanctum Sequorum Quarterly magazine. He, he did not. Oh, he did he, not he, yet. He, oh, he did not because, uh, be, well, he was going to have something in Sanctum Sequorum Quarterly, and then another publisher, he said he was, he was donating that to... He got sniped. He didn't get. He did not get sniped. Someone, <laughs> someone offered to buy it, and I recommended that you know. Yes, you take this it. Is, yeah, this is what you should be doing. Don't give us something for free if someone's going to pay you for it. Right. Uh, but our <laughs> monthly releases from him will be continuing throughout the foreseeable future. He's also planning on contributing to Sanctum's Quorum Quarterly uh, next. <laughs> yes. For the summer issue, uh, all proceeds. Go to Ashraf himself. All, yeah. all of Sanctum's proceeds. Drive through still gets their cut. Uh, but we but all Sanctum's yeah. sales proceeds and affiliate proceeds, which is a way awesome. that we, we managed to recover some of Drive Through's cut. Uh, okay. all of Ashraf. And that makes a really big dent in someone's life. Uh, we're so ethnocentric. Uh, us Westerners, <laughs> we have houses and uh, space and vehicles, and Ugandans don't. Uh, $40 a month is his typical income, or is that his his rent for the month. Uh, his his rent his, his rent is forty one dollars a month. The uh, the average wage in his area is less than three dollars a day. And so a day. Yes. So Not per hour, but per day. Per day. So being being right, able <laughs> to to create you know create materials yeah. drawing from Ugandan folklore, and and have people around the world read it has been has been very exciting for him. But it is also it has also opened some great new doors for him. So I he's he's hoping that once once things you know, really get rolling, that he's going to be able to bring in some Ugandan artists, maybe some other writers, and he really wants to to start expanding on things. And, and it's going to take time to get there, but but he's right. got he's got that road in front of him, and he's looking at it. And we have Arimari Paipo from Finland, if I recall correctly, doing uh, art for the cover of the last two of these. He's and done. He's done the art for the last three. three. Okay. Uh, artist Gregory Dees did uh, did the cover for oh, the first. He did the first. Awesome. And I, Bob 
was sitting near me during my editing of the last issue and he he could see how much I was just enjoying doing the pronunciation guides. So it it really is a labor of love and it's for an excellent cause and for nothing else but to get exposure to the culture and the folklore of another new place. New material from new voices. It's not it's not medieval Germany, right? Which is, or medieval England. You know, the, two, the two of which kind of get bandied about and merged together for most, you know, fantasy settings. This is his stuff is different. I mean, the 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 first release was was an invisible creature that stalked schools and preyed on children. We've had we've had a character class based on invisible herdsmen. Uh, there's there's been a lot of really great stuff. And it's it is it's it's different. It stands out. And it, very awesome stuff. Um, and yeah, the audio clips alone. Just I could just play those for. You know what, Ashraf? Ashraf needs to read a book for us. <laughs> <laughs> we could just have some audio clips there, right? Okay. And with that, it is time once again to announce a winner, along with a pair of giveaways. <clears throat> Live listeners, if you're uh, paying attention, might want to flip back over to this screen for a bit. One of these giveaways is for the live audience. The other is for all of our viewers and listeners. And that's right. It is time to enter the Sanctum Scorum's very own... Prize Closet of Mystery. So... <laughs> So let's start with announcing the winner of last month's uh, final giveaway, which was a copy of Nerves by Lester Del Rey. As a matter of fact, it is, oh, is, good is let's see if, if it'll show up. It is this copy of Nerves. And this month's winner is Stuart Greenfield. Yay. And we will be, uh, be reaching out shortly to get details so we can get that prize mailed out. And moving on then, we come to tonight's live giveaway as a reminder everyone watching the show live is eligible for both giveaways uh, but tonight's first prize since we're in sort of a sword and sorcery uh, state of mind is the enchanted planet by pierre barbet and that is it is a nice classic sword and sorcery sword and planet Ooh. daw it is DAW number 156 for those who are collecting DAWs like I do. And the copy goes to the live viewer who can first correctly give the answer to the following question. Mm. Famously, the first Conan story ever published, The Phoenix on the Sword, was actually a rewrite of an earlier rejected call tale titled By This Axe I Rule. However, there was an earlier proto-Conan story in Strange Tales of Mystery and Terror. The story was a about a man named John O'Brien, who seemed to relive his past as a brutish black-haired warrior named Conan of the Reavers. So, what was the title of this pre-Conan Conan story? Was it A, The Song of the Bats, B, The Dream Snake, C, people of the dark, or D, skulls in the stars. 
You know, this kind of makes me think of Moorcock with the eternal champion with all of the aliases for the character names. And, and Girk Dentley got it first with C, People of the Dark, followed closely by, by nice. Ghostly Squid. No wrong answers this time. Uh, the other three are all Howard titles, but they're all Howard horror story titles. Mad Google skills here. <laughs> yeah, pro- quite possibly, but <laughs> you never know. You never know. Our our listeners are tend to be well read. So if you're if you're watching the show and didn't win, ghostly, uh, or you're listening to a replay in the lead up to our next episode, you can enter to win our monthly drawing simply by dropping an email to the hub at sanctum.media with your name. Entry should have the subject line prize closet mystery. And this month's prize is Gate of Ivrel by CJ Sherry. And that is a DAW UE 1615. So that is is our drawing giveaway prize for this month. Okay. And uh, now we've hmm. oh, ghosty squid just wanted to graciously decline. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> You're allowed to win more than once ghostly squid. It's okay. So, okay. but that is then going to take us. If we're going to talk about you know, the prize prize that we're going yeah. to have next month, we should probably figure out what we're going to read for next month. Well, before we put the poll up, let's go over our choices. Sounds good. What do we have, Jen? Uh, the first would be Michael Moorcock, The Chronicles of Corum. Uh, that would be the first book, The Knight of the Swords. We have Fred Saberhagen, Get the Second Book of Swords. Do I remember the first? Might have to reread that too. Uh, John Belair's The Face in the Frost. Ooh, nice insertion on this one. Manly Wade Wellman. This is a, a surprise to Jen. Who Fears the Devil? So, Elena, our lovely Twitch mistress, has put the the current poll up. Uh, Just click on the little down arrow to get to it. Uh, What to read next? Hmm. Hmm. And remember, you can use your channel points to vote, or to weigh your votes, I should say. Uh, You can also use your channel points for those weird trivia or... uh, well, right like now, message. right now we're. Ooh, I think people are waiting their votes. Right now, it is it is neck and neck between uh, Morcock and Saberhagen with Manly Wade Wellman trailing behind. Mm-hmm. Can I weigh my votes too? I, I would assume so. <laughs> if you've got channel points, right? Oh yeah, because I I've never been on this channel before, Bob. I don't have any points. <laughs> oh it's, oh well, boy, this close. is <laughs> this is so which one are you voting for, Bob? Well, you know, you were really excited about Who Fears the Devil, but uh, I will gladly read The Knight <laughs> of the Swords by Michael Moorcock. Oh, that's awesome. Cor- okay, Corum we have a title. Is a, a facet of the Eternal Champion. You, you can't go wrong. All right. Oh, and it looks like we have a pre-populated link here so people can get it if they don't have it already on their shelves of glory and follow along with us next month. And I believe that show will be on May 23rd, if I'm looking at the calendar correctly. Yeah, next month we have Sanctum Socorum 
overall, our shows have a special um, schedule. I'll, I'll, I'll go over that real quick. So May 9th, we have an episode of Sanctum Scorn oh. Live featuring mm-hmm. author Zach Rosenberg to celebrate the release of mm. his debut, the Jewish weird Western novella, Hungers as Old as This Land. And it is, it's, it's, fanta- it's a fantastic read. I really, I'm really looking forward to, to talking to him about it. Uh, that is our May 9th show. May 16th is the next episode of the Sanctum Sequorum Reading Room, where we are discussing the, uh, the, the Night of the Swords. Our normal reading room night, which would have been May 23rd, is going to be the Sanctum Sequorum podcast uh, with all three of us, with Mark Bruner. And we okay. will be having our discussion of Lay Brackett's tale, The Hounds of Scaife. Oh, yeah. that Jen's got lots of reading ahead of her. Oof. Okay, so May 16th is Moorcock. Correct. Moorcock, Knight of the Swords. Got it. Yes. Okay. I'll put it here in the chat so we can all remember. And I know I'm typing while I talk. I apologize. <laughs> so, yes. So, so May, there will be three shows from, from the Sanctum Three Tuesdays in a row, starting the 9th. Yep. Wow. Oof. Okay. So, actually, it's right after... War of the Cyclops Con because that's right after War of the Cyclops Con on and the then seventh. And it's right before UK Games Expo, right? Isn't that where we end on the twenty-third? Um right before Memorial Day weekend, UK Games Expo is the uh second through fourth of June. Oh, but so you've got okay, gotcha. <clears throat> sorry, I, I have to leave a, so I can lose a day to get over there. So we, we won't be able to do it on the last Tuesday. But you get us uh, three times next month. Um, apologies ahead of time, I guess. Um, <laughs> you know, at least we'll we'll be awake for you, which is always like, hit or miss. We'll be awake. <laughs> if we're not awake, Elena will just yell into the microphone until we're awake. True. Yeah, as as we just got confirmation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 thank you to uh, to Elena for producing the show and putting up with the fact that we're doing three next month. And thank you to Goodman Games for their unending support of all things Appendix N and Sanctum Secorum. And I hope Joseph Goodman is just as excited about everything we've been delving into uh, as he was on day one. And thank you, of course, to our Twitch fans who come and watch us babble about books live. It's really fun to have people to bounce things off of, even if you're not on screen. So we do value and, you. And, and speaking of things live, I, I posed I posed the question on, on social media, and I'll pose it here as well. So we, we have essentially two podcasts and a series of specials, uh, which have for the longest time been Sanctum Sequorum Live. But now all of Sanctum Sequorum is live. And so that that uh, name is some weird series of events. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that name isn't necessarily uh, as as definitive as it once was. And so I am certainly open to suggestions. It's not a vote. It's not a poll. We're not going to be Sanctum McSanctum face. Uh, <laughs> but if you if you have any ideas, <laughs> love to hear them. <laughs> you can drop and Sanctum those the Gathering is off the table too, Professor. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Oh, the history prop. 
Uh, Johnny DeFish, yes, we we appreciate your presence as well. Thank you, everybody, and have a wonderful night. We'll see you next month. Be inspired. Sanctum Sequorum Reading Room has been a production of Sanctum Media.